Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'm glad that you've decided to join the podcast. Is, what are you daydreaming about over I, here? I was going through our show notes. I'm excited for what we have to get to. I totally, I too. totally so missed is, the drop there. I've spent the last couple of weeks. I was going to do this in one week, but it ended up taking a lot longer. Um, the best four cylinder engines of all time. Absolutely. Now, you know, I always think that I'm right. So these are my choices. We should we should definitely underline that. Yeah, this these, is these, not like the right. greatest of all time. These are Chris's choices. These are my choices. So right. I picked four. And then we're going to have some honorable mentions. And yeah, what I, did, I have a whole list here of ones that you missed. Okay, that's good. I'm, I'm sure I missed a few. <laughs> and, and there's been so many great four-cylinder engines over the years, it's hard not, yeah. to, not to miss some. So what I, I did is I picked engines that were um, mainly production engines. One is not a production engine, but it's okay. a very significant engine for you know some of the influence it had on me. It's special to me. Right. And I wanted to pick engines that uh, matter to enthusiasts, too. Right. So I didn't want to pick like... A Volkswagen <laughs> 1.6 diesel just because it got 50 miles per gallon. So these are these are engines I see that what are because yeah, you certainly could take some different criteria and say, well, these are the best because they're the most fuel efficient, right. or these are the best because they've been in the most cars ever, etc. Right. And one thing that you'll find that all these none of these motors were made in the last basically 20 years. So I kind of skipped over like I'm all trying the, to think now if there's any. Even I know there are. There's lots of even great on engines. my honorable mention list. There's not many. I know that's that because they're all. I mean, they're just think about like a brand new Volkswagen engine. Chip intake exhaust is 400 horsepower. Right. So obviously that's amazing, but it just doesn't have. Here's the other part. As with anything else, we haven't had the time to either put it in perspective or to be nostalgic about it. Right, I mean, right. so much of this is like, oh, that was so cool back in the day that's because. exactly it. And I think that's a big part of this. So you got to understand where I'm coming from with my own personal age and what I think is cool. But I think that most people will also think these are some really cool engines. So what I did okay. is I didn't want to just talk about the motors, right. which is boring. So what I did is I tried to find experts in the field for each one of the four engines that I picked. And I have special interviews with uh, with special people that awesome. really know what they're talking about. So in the business in the industry, we'd call that an SME, a subject matter expert. Yes, these are all subject matter experts. I love it. Um, so I, you're not going to just have to take my word for it. Yeah. We've got people that actually know what they're talking about that I interviewed over the last week or so to talk about the you know the, the motors with us. Awesome. What and where are we going next week, Chris? Next week, let's on get Monday. into what, what else is going oh, one, on. One more this, thing, okay? We're gonna split this up into part one and oh, part two okay. because these are long, longer interviews. We have so much here. Yeah, so we're gonna do engines one and two today. I made, and then I made three a or terrible four. choke before that. We're gonna do the first two cylinders of the four cylinder. Yeah, it wasn't even this funny. week. And next week, we're gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, no. So we're gonna do um one one and two. And these okay. aren't in any order. Although the one that I do last, which I'll release, I guess, on Monday. Okay. The, the the one that I really like, I'm going to save that one for last. Gotcha. Okay, so you guys will get to hear about that one. That's my favorite. But the other three, I'm, you know, whatever. They're any, all great. Any order. Sure. Yeah. And so, we'll get the honorable mentions in there in, in the middle as well. Yeah, we'll get the honorable mentions in there as well. But before we get to that, yep. um, I want to make sure that you guys hit the subscribe button yes. on whatever device you're using. And if you'd like, you can support the show. Head over to patreon.com slash overcrest. It's only five or ten bucks a month. You know, you can show your support for the show. Uh, it's you know, now that Netflix is almost twenty dollars a month, this is seeming like a bargain. You know what I was wondering too? Is this tax deductible? Is this considered a donation? I 
Maybe. Uh, I don't know, because you're getting something for it. True. So maybe All it's right. not. And what are you getting? Who's going to go to their account? Hey, can you write off this $5 <laughs> thing? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Anyway, so we no, are. But you're, you're right. You, you get something for it. And what do you get? You get exclusive content. We're actually going to be recording this next month exclusive episode for you guys right after this. Right. Um, and you also get, you know, wallpapers. Chris has some awesome photography that he releases for wallpapers. You get a videos of episodes when we can and also a T-shirt or right. other swag. All right. So let's get to engine number one. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about the Mitsubishi 4G 63T. Yes. Now, this engine is um, <laughs> it's made infamous, of course, by all of the Evos up until Evo 10. That's right. So this and also it was in what else? Oh, it was the Galant VR4. That's right. right which is a killer car. It full is. time all wheel drive. Really, really neat car. But I was also in the Eagle Talon. Oh, yes. And, and the Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi Eclipse, Eclipse, like the GST and GSX. That's right. And those, I remember seeing those driving around back the in the day. DSM cars, as they were known. The DSMs. And I remember seeing them drive around. And it was the first, I think the Eclipse was one of the first cars that I saw that had a giant wing on it. And it was kind of the rounded wing. Yeah. And very I, 90s. They were cool. And they had the bump in the hood. Yes. Like, the I don't little know if that bulge, was, the power I don't know bulge. if that was good for anything or not. So anyway, I called up Jimmy Bowling. He works at... Berkshire Racing, and they basically do Mitsubishi stuff. They're they're professional at it. They've built one of the fastest 4G 63T cars of all time. Um, wow. they, he really knows what he's talking about. He's been building these engines his whole life. Uh, so let's take a minute and listen to Jimmy. Uh, do here's my here's my interview with Jimmy. Awesome. All right. This is Jimmy. Hey Jimmy, it's Chris from Overcrest. How's it going, man? Hey, how are you? Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. On the 4G 63T, one of the engines on our list of greatest four-cylinder engines of all time. Now, when I called you and asked you about that, were you like, yeah, it kind of is one of the greatest four-cylinder engines of all time? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely think so. It's a, uh, For me, it's a life-changing engine. <laughs> how, how do you how do you fear? How, how did it change your life? Well, let's see. So I grew up in domestic drag racing. Uh, so I grew up a Mopar kid, which makes me extra strange, but also kind of gives me a link to the Mitsubishi stuff. Uh, you know, I ended up with a non-turbo Eclipse in 1998 when I graduated high school. And uh, shortly thereafter, discovered uh, Turbo Magazine um, and uh, realized there was a whole other world that I didn't know about that hadn't really I mean, at least my part of the Midwest hadn't hadn't made it there. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I became aware of uh, Busher Racing and, uh, the, you know, started learning as much as I could about the 4G63. And I kind of uh, knew from a young age that I wanted to um, work in racing. And, uh, you know, as a young guy, uh, to, to try to, to do that, uh, at the scale that I wanted to do, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to break, break in, uh, with sure. the drag racing that I was already a part of. Uh, but then came along the import stuff and, you know, totally different crowd, you know, younger generation. So easier to, uh, make a, make a name for yourself, so to speak. So well, tell us a little bit about the 4G63T. Um, what kind of engine is it? So, you know, as you know, it's a, it's a cast iron block, an aluminum head. I believe, actually, there are 4G63T variants that are single overhead cam, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, um, but uh, the one that the 4G63T form that everybody's familiar with, uh, you know, obviously they were in uh, the, 
the uh, Glantz. Uh, yeah, the VR4, the right? One, was the... Yeah, the VR4 uh, was the first that made it stateside, and of course the Eclipse and Talon after that. So it's cast iron block, um, so that's probably one of the greatest parts about it. It just it handles power very well. Uh, you know, compared to Hondas that are popular modify from those day, you know, from the nineties, you know, it's a, a direct advantage, you know, they, they, that stock form back then, maybe it couldn't handle 500 horsepower in stock form because tuning wasn't quite, we didn't, we didn't know how to tune them as well back then, nor did we have the capability to tune them. What, what was the well software that they, what they use? Was it something that you guys would try to chip tune? Like you take the chip out and put in a programmer? Yeah, there, or... there was a, like a, there was a, I think an outfit called PMO. I think that sounds familiar. They, they would kind of burn the chips. Uh, then you could use a, a Palm pilot to do some data logging and also <laughs> that puts HK the data on it right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I had like a Palm M105 or something like that, if that sounds familiar. But then, of course, HKS had the VPC and the GCC. The vein, uh, the VPC stand, or stood for vein pressure converter, I, I believe it was. And basically what that did is that changed it over to speed density. The car still used the stock ECU, but then it had uh, some knobs on it for different RPM ranges that you could basically adjust the fueling uh, to add or take away fuel or you know, compensate for different injectors and so on and so forth. So this was the uh, kind of like the heyday of this engine was the Eclipse laser talent period. Obviously, it was in the Evo, too. But when I think of this engine, I think of like the Eclipse GSX. And I remember seeing the wing on it when I was I was 14 when that car came mm-hmm. out. And I remember seeing the wing on it and just going, oh, my God, that car just looks fast. Um, what was kind of the was that kind of the the was that the best time for that engine? No, I wouldn't say it would, I, I would say that would, I would call that the golden era. I wouldn't say it was the best era. I think Evo has definitely changed everything uh, because, you know, we, we had a decade of experience or more, depending on who you were, modifying them at that point. So then like, you know, it was, it was, it went from, there's an era there, like in the early 2000s, to where, you know, if you had, in, a, in terms of a quarter-mile car, if you had a car that was trapping 125 in the late 90s, like, you're kind of booking. And then just a few years later, I think really around the, the time that Evos took off, you know, it's like, nah, it was, there's daily driven cars trapping 135. Like, it was no big deal. So I would say that what time that you're talking what, about. What, what, what changed between uh, tuning, that? Mo- tuning and experience. Okay. Uh, the, the aftermarket standalone ECUs probably. The engine itself I'd didn't change much? No, not the engine itself. Uh, by by the late 90s, uh, I think, you know, Prower rods and, and probably, uh, you know, several different piston manufacturers, you know, they're in terms of aftermarket parts, like the stuff was already there. Um, definitely there's been some piston improvements uh, throughout the last 15 years in the aftermarket terms, but... Um, I would say that the, the, the biggest thing is is tuning uh, the capability of, you know, having different standalone aftermarket ECUs and then turbo technology also, you know. For the, sure. the, the turbos got quicker spooling for bigger sizes. So what was the, the when you went to, the, when you would go to the track and you'd, and you'd be there, what was the rival for the 4G63T? What was, when you lined up with someone, who was the one in, that you in wanted? In my to mind, be? there wasn't one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, like, all right, so, you know, obviously, 2JZ, we know, is, is the greatest, 
arguably one of the greatest uh, inline six-cylinder engines. Four-cylinders, I always think 4G63 is the, the, the best overall. Um, it's kind of changed in the last few years because the amount of money and the amount of horsepower we make with them now, uh, it's not a big deal to sleeve a block. So that was the, that was the big deal. Like obviously, there's a Honda and Mitsubishi rivalry. Um, Subarus kind of came, uh, you know, a little bit later, in my opinion. So I, I, it's hard to say just because it's all-wheel drive to all-wheel drive. Um, I'd say Subaru is probably the biggest rivalry uh, these days, but um, it's it, it's Honda. The Honda rivalry is probably you know what would give it for or give. Uh, Subarus are run for the money as far as the biggest rivalry goes. So, so um, and, and let me rephrase the question to say, who is most envious that they don't have the 4G63 in their car? Definitely, definitely the Subaru guys. <laughs> I'm sure you guys get in some uh, arguments with those guys from time to time. Um, so, what's a? Is there like? Does anybody swap this engine into anything else? Is there anything that? Oh yeah. What's yeah, popular? So, I've, I've been a part of, uh, several different racing, uh, endeavors with 4G63s and other cars. Um, a couple of Mustangs and also, uh, Conquest that, uh, David Busher and Dan Busher originally built and a good friend of mine purchased. And then we raced the car coast to coast. Um, so that had a Chevrolet transmission in it. Uh, originally, I think it was a Turbo 350. Then why we went to a Power Glide. So that was the first car that I can remember. Uh, 4G63 swapping. Uh, actually, it's the first. Uh, uh, Eric Probani might have swapped a Conquest before Busher did, uh, but I think Busher. I think we we probably built the engine. It, it, again, I'm the new generation, the new owner of Busher, but uh, you know I've been a a, a Busher fan, loyalist, uh, vendor, so on and so forth for a lot of a lot of years. So it's kind of weird for me to talk <laughs> about Busher in past tense. Right, uh, right. But so anyhow, um, those two cars, those two conquests were the first ones I can remember being swapped. But now Mustangs are popular because Mustangs are the, you know, touted as some of the best stock drag racing suspension for like, uh, for, you know, any type of drag racing. But, you know, you see them in Mighty Max trucks. You see them in. What do the Mustang uh, guys that keep their engines think of the swap when you pull up to the light next to them? Are they. They, what what are their thoughts? Oh, we don't care about those guys. They're kind of weirdos, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously, every you know, it's it's tribalism. Tribalism rules. Whether it's politics or cars, you, you like what you like. And if you're, you know, I'm uh, one of the. I've four G six three is probably my favorite engine. Uh, even though I am a V eight guy, also, uh, but you know, I'm kind of weird in the fact that I'm I'm not hugely brand biased. The fastest fast. Um, but definitely you get some haters when we, we built a car called the Evo Stang, um, where it was a new edge Mustang. We had an Evo 4G63 in it and, uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of hate that we got on that. I mean, like that, the outfits that were sharing those on, on Facebook and Instagram, you know, several <laughs> years ago, it was ridiculous, you know, Jags and Summit's Facebook pages and all these like V8, you know, and. It just uh, people loved it or hated it. There's not too many people indifferent. Sure, sure. So when I grew up in the 90s and everyone was building these, you know, I was 16, mm-hmm. 17, 18 years old. People were building these cars. We would always like, and I don't know where it came from, but we would always be like, wow, that thing's just going to blow up. Like, what what was the mm-hmm. deal with like the Eagle Talons and the and the Eclipses? What was the what was the weak point on those cars that everybody was always talking about? 
for you know honestly the weak part of the car is not the engine it is the transmission but where the dsm's got a bad rap was it was an actual fast car to begin with lots of with lots of potential it was cheap so you know there was a time frame there when i i, I used this 15 15 15 kind of rule or 16 16 16 or something like that it was a car you know uh, some years ago that was 15, 16 years old that a 15 or 16 year old could afford to buy and, and tune and, and actually makes enough power to break parts if it wasn't done right, you know, and therein that is going to be mostly to do with tuning and, and people not knowing what to do, whether it's driving or tuning problem or simple mechanical errors. Uh, it's really hard to mess up 180 horsepower and actually aspirated Honda. So yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it's not a reliability issue with the cars it, it, as far as the engines go. Um, so what you're uh, saying is you had a bunch of 16 and 17 year old kids with no money turning the boost up. Exactly. Because the cars could make power. You could make enough power to where if you didn't have something quite right, it would break, you know, whereas you could, you know, not really hurt an actually aspirated on. Well, yeah, so if there was a, where, if there was a VTEC knob, you bet your ass every kid would be turning the VTEC knob up to 12, right? I mean, if that yeah, knob existed, yeah, they'd be using it. Yeah. With that being said, you, you hear the stuff about the crank walk and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, that was a bad run of crank for a couple of years. And you still hear people talking about it. It's like, no, every, you know, the, the term crank walk was, uh, derived from this community, but it's a uh, a little nickname given to something that could happen to any engine, where it's just simply wiping out the thrust on the crankshaft. So where it's got excessive uh, crankshaft in play, that can happen to any engine. There was a bad run of cranks there for a year or two uh, in the in the second generations, and uh, basically, uh, if a crank was going to have a crank walk issue, it happened 15 years ago. <laughs> Right, right. That's 20 just, years ago. just not happening anymore. All that's been taken care of. Correct. So yeah, they say it's a seven bolt thing. People don't realize like Evos are seven bolts. Like the seven bolt stuff, people think isn't as strong. It's not really the case at all. Right on, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about concerning this motor? Um, no, not if you don't have any more questions. No, I think uh, that's it for me. There's some neat things about them. It's like such you can find them actually in forklifts. Wait, they're <laughs> forklifts? Yeah, they're in forklifts. Yeah, um, <laughs> Can, uh, 100%. Uh, there's, uh, I think, diesel and/or uh, natural gas, and, and maybe propane variants. There's definitely uh, something the variants that are not uh, gasoline, and they're in uh, forklifts. So, you know, they're uh, to me they were just made to be beefy. Whether or not you know it was, uh, the sports car aspect was was came before the forklifts uh, i'm not sure but they're just meant to be a workhorse yeah it seems like they're still used in applications all over the world today when i obviously i went over and looked at wikipedia and started looking at the motor doing a little bit of research it's been yeah. in a zillion cars yeah and it's, and it's still can, used yeah to they're this still day. in new cars it, yeah in the chinese land rover knockoff yeah, I saw that. Well, dude, I really yep. appreciate uh, appreciate you calling in. Um, why don't you tell us where people can find you guys on social media? Uh, so you can uh, just go to Instagram, look up Busher Racing, or Facebook, look up Busher Racing. Of course, you can go to www.busherracing.com. All right, man, I really appreciate you coming on us and schooling on this engine. That's uh, It's been good of you. Thank you. Okay, man, have a good one. All right, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. 
Well, there you go. The 4G awesome. 63T. Yes. You know, I remember opening my issue of Sport Compact Magazine. Did you ever get Sport Compact? No. That was actually a good magazine. I'm like Un- the only car guy that never had magazines for cars I guess back not. in the day. Sport, to, or, uh, excuse me, Sport Compact was actually like a really quality good engineering focused magazine. Okay. And so they had a whole issue on Evos, Evo 8 and 9, the 4G63. And I remember reading some of these figures these guys were doing with their tuned engines, like 50, 60 PSI of boost into these things. It's just nuts what you can do with these. Yeah, absolutely. So um, why don't you tell us about, uh, a little bit about Rensport? Before you get to Renline, right. Before we get to our second choice of best four cylinder, let's uh, take a moment to recognize our sponsor, Renline. We've partnered with them to offer an awesome discount. Um, I'm actually expecting my door cards this week, which is ironic because you're complaining about your RS door cards and I just ordered some RS door cards. Well, they'll last you a few miles. Like mine, <laughs> I don't think any of this stuff was meant to last how I drive it. You know, where it's just like, I've opened and closed the door like thousands of times where right. most guys with RS door cards are not, let's right. just say. Yeah, so true. Just, none of that stuff is, it's but all. But I'm optimistic because as we know, Renline does offer some really high quality products in how they're machining and, and manufacturing do you know, do they have, things. Do they make their own little door door poles, the little I don't know. I'll I have wonder. To see. Yeah, you have to show me when you get it. Absolutely, I will. Because, you know, as with a lot of their products, extremely high quality and beautifully machined. The quality really is illustrated by the fact that they guarantee every single product that they create. So you can get Renline Design Performance Parts for European cars, including, of course, as we're talking about, Porsche. Uh, they've been in business for the past 20 years and have developed over 6,000 products to meet the needs of enthusiasts. And like we keep saying, what really sets these guys apart, they aren't just another distributor or drop shipper. Their products are designed and engineered in-house right there in Vermont. So be sure to check them out on renline.com and use the code OVERCREST to get 5% off your next order along with free shipping on orders over $250. All right. So number two on our not in any kind of order list is the Drake 16 valve engine. So this is one you're going to have to explain, I think, for a lot of people. Okay. So back in the, well, I'll let Stuart Van Dyne explain it all in a minute. He's okay. the, uh, he's, he's formerly of Drake and he, he, uh, he just retired, but he was with Van Dyne engineering for a very long time, uh, made his career with Offenhauser building engines. Oh, wow. Um, they, uh, they built Mark Donahue's 1972 Indy 500 winning Sunoco. Uh, I mean, they, they've had, uh, their engines have won the Indy 500 26 times. Yeah. These so, are these are offy four cylinders. That's or, one we should V8, actually yeah. Have yeah. On our honorable mention. That's our I'm honorable just mention list. right now. <laughs> yeah. So, um uh, it's called, I basically it looked uh, for a long time, you know, you see like the the Drake stuff, like you see the cam gears, you see the valve covers. They were a tuner for the Volkswagen right. water. They did Super stuff. V stuff and then they did stuff for midget racing. Okay. So they had like the uh, they would take a Volkswagen block and they made their own cylinder head. And popped it on there, and right. I'll let we'll let him talk about some of the details of that stuff. But you know, just the cam gears go for like a million dollars now, and the Drake valve covers are worth <laughs> worth a fortune. Um, just because you know there wasn't, you had like Bertels, you had Odinger, you had uh, Drake. I mean, Odinger made more street cars. Okay. Um, I don't think there was very many Drake sixteen valve street cars driving around. Although there is, I hear now that there is one. Um, so let's hear from Stuart. On the Drake 16 valve engine. Now, I want to say there was a, I had a little bit of a bad connection when we first called him. Okay. So, uh, it's so bear not, with it. So bear with it. Basically, what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about the Volkswagen Drake 16 valve engine, which is one of my favorite engines. 
I, uh, I've been, you know, I've had Drake cam gears and stuff like that throughout the years, but I never, never had any really, you know, really some of the really cool Drake stuff, like obviously the 16 valve Drake, um, uh, cylinder head and all that kind of stuff. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, maybe the history of Drake a little bit. Where did, where did this come from? Where did, where did you guys start? Well, <laughs> it all started in 1904 with Harry Miller and the Miller engines. Actually, what you should probably do is go on the on the VanDyneEngineering.com web, website and read the uh, history of of uh, of everything from 1908 till present with Harry Miller, then Fred Offenhauser, then uh, Meyer and Drake, and then Drake Engineering, and then Van Dyne Engineering, and. Uh, that would fill you in on a lot of things. And, uh, well, how did you then, get started with, with all this yourself? Me, I actually started working at a place called Traco engineering in 1968 in Culver city, California. Uh, they were the best Chevrolet engine builders in the world at the time. And they were building all the Chevrolets for Roger Penske's Camaros, Trans Am Camaros. And, and whatnot, and uh, Formula 5000 engines for various other people, and Can-Am engines for many different people, and, and whatnot. And uh, so I started with them in 1968, uh, building all sorts of Chevrolets and AMCs, and built Penske's Ferrari, the 512M, the Sunoco Ferrari, the 512S or M uh, for Ferrari that Mark Donahue and Chuck Parsons or, I mean, I'm sorry, Mark Donahue and David Hobbs drove uh, at Daytona and Le Mans and whatnot. Anyhow, that was 1971. And uh, anyhow, in 72, I took over the Offie department at, at Traco and uh, Eddie Hansen and myself. And uh, we built the engine that won the Indy 500 in 1972. We were both just 24 years old at that time. So that kind of got me into the Offenhauser deal. And because of that, I was spending some time at Drake Engineering in Irvine, picking up parts and and, and whatnot and getting to know everybody there. Actually, I knew them all of 71 because uh, there was a guy, another guy doing the office uh, in 71. But I lived in Huntington Beach, which was closer to Irvine. So I would drop off parts and pick up stuff for him, you know, in the morning before I came to work, you know? And so I got to know all the people there then. Oh, I think it was 76. They actually asked me to come to work at Drake. And so I, the end of 76, uh, I came to work at Drake and as the field rep and, and, uh, the development guy, you know, for the, all the, doing all the testing and, and whatnot of, uh, what was Drake working on at the time when you when you went over there officially? What were what, what was what were they up to? They were building Hoffenhauser engines, and uh, and we also designed and built a, a a V8 engine. They called the Drake V8, which was a 160 cubic inch uh, turbocharged uh, engine for Indy, and uh, we had. A, some teething problem had many teething problems and uh, we eventually ran out of money uh, and uh, and basically uh, had to downsize the company and uh, 
that's when John Drake and I went in together, you know, with Drake engineering, he asked me, uh, we actually laid everybody off and we we're going to, we were going to close the company down at that, at that time. John asked me if I wanted to do something together. He asked me what, what I was going to do. And I said, I don't know. I said, I'm going to be in the racing engine business somehow, you know, he said, well, you want to do something with me? And I said, yeah, sure. What do you want to do? And so we threw things around and we decided that it was best to keep the uh, Drake engineering name alive. And, uh, uh, we downsized, we took, uh, a strip of the building and walled it off and, and about an 8,000 square foot section of the building and walled it off. We ended up with offices and the engineering office and, and, uh, the dyno and a bunch of other equipment and, uh, kept the company going and, and, <clears throat> And at that point, we got pretty serious about starting a, you know, another company, which uh, which we didn't own at the time, uh, called uh, Drake Motorsport. Somebody else was putting the money in for that. But we were doing all the work for them and all the engineering for them and design, the designing cams and, and everything, basically everything that they were selling in their catalog. What, what, which catalog are we talking about? What, are they, what engines are they working on at the time? Well, that was for the rabbit engines. That, that was, you know, the rabbit and Scirocco engines. Tell me a little bit about the this this motor that you guys had, the 16-valve, the dual-overhead cam motor. Well, <laughs> it's a dual-overhead cam head that fits on a rabbit. And uh, how did it, how did it come about that this this needed? It? Who who was like, hey, we got to make this this motor? What are why were they why were they engineered in the first place? What's the what? Why do well, they? Exist? We were looking around and seeing what, you know, there was an Ottinger head and I think another head available at the time, and neither one of them were any good. And so we just decided, let's uh, design and build a head. So we designed it and then we built it, you know, and uh, it was to be, it was going to be for streetcars primarily. And then as we were doing it, we decided, hey, this might make a good midget engine. So, uh, uh, we made a midget version of it, uh, 120 cubic inch or two liter uh, version of it, and uh, and put up in midget race cars. What kind and, of power uh, were you developing out of that out of that engine? Uh, about 280 at the crankshaft or at the at the crankshaft. Yes. Well, that's quite a far cry from the stock Volkswagen 16 valve head that's got 140 horsepower. Where is all this extra power coming from? Drake head is a considerably better head than, than what Volkswagen came up with for their street cars. Uh, it, you know, it was a, a racing head. Uh, Hans Hermann designed it, who had worked for BMW when they did their uh, 16 valve Formula 2 uh, engine, you know. Uh, and uh, so it's, uh, you know, uh, he knew about 16 valve <laughs> uh, cylinder heads and, uh, so that's kind of so. Anyhow, plus plus you know much bigger cams and whatnot than than you can run in a street car and, and whatnot, and, and 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 much higher RPM. Yeah, it's not gonna. Your wife's not driving it to get to the grocery store, right? Right. <laughs> what were you? What speaking of higher RPMs? What were you? You know, where did these things top out at? As I recall, we were running things about ninety five hundred. Okay, and was uh. 
how many of these do you think you sold to the general public that didn't end up in race cars and midget cars? Uh, zero. <laughs> that's why that, <laughs> that's why they're they're so hard to find. Um, yeah, in so, fact, I took uh, I had a customer uh, buy one from us. It was a used midget engine that we um, turned into a streetcar engine. A guy in Canada, but he is putting it into a, I think a '75 Rabbit. So, if I was going to get a hold of one of these cylinder heads and throw it on a you know a, a Rabbit block, what do I all need? to make it work? Well, the best thing to do would be to have uh, me build you a complete <laughs> engine. <laughs> yes, that's pr- that's probably true. Um, so what what other things were you working at, on at the time with, with the catalog? What were you guys developing? Well, we made, uh, we made like I said, we made camshafts for the streetcars and, well, and race cars. Actually, actually, let me back up one little step uh, because before we downsized at Drake, we had... Uh, built uh, intake manifolds and pans and pumps and everything for the Super V uh, engines, which were, you know, rabbit engines. There were 1,600 rabbit engines um, for the Super V series. And we made, uh, that's where the valve cover came from. Right. We made cams, uh, valves. We made, you know, big valve heads. Uh, Well, we built complete Super V engines uh, to, to uh, sell, uh, to, you know, we, I don't know how many we sold, but we, we sold a handful of things. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were, you know, probably making 190 horsepower at the time on gasoline, you know, at 1600, which is pretty, pretty stout, you know, I would think so. Yeah. That's pretty good. And, uh, you know, we, they were, we were competitive with Bertles and, and, uh, oh God, what's the other name. <laughs> A little while since I thought about that's this right. Shit. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so so that was what was kind of the nucleus that started the whole thing to say, okay, let's go ahead and make stuff for streetcars. And so we, uh, you know, made some cams and stuff for streetcars, and I developed a, a, a big valve head, uh, you know for streetcars and so a customer would send their head in and we'd fix it or we would uh, you know just sell them one we had and then take their head in as core uh generally we did the customer's head right and uh, uh poured it and polished and put the big valve seats in and you know big valves and and uh, special valve strings that we had wound up especially for us and and whatnot so uh when you were you know, working you, for the, when you're doing the Indy 500 stuff and you're doing the domestic stuff and, you know, you were building the stuff for Chevrolet back in the day, when you started moving over to, you know, what did you see? Was there something that you saw in these Volkswagen engines that were like, yeah, I'm, I can make this work. This is special. Or what was, why this engine block with all the other things that were out there? Why did you choose that one to use as your well, base? Like I just said, we started with the whole thing started because of the Super V engine. That right. was the, which was a, a new market at that time for everybody because they had been air-cooled Volkswagens up to that point. And, and I think that was 78, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, the year they switched over to the water-cooled V-dubs for, for, for the Super V series. And uh, so 
that's what got us started on that. And so since we were, we could have been considered experts in on those engines at that point, uh, we kind of went and ran with that. And, yeah, it's the natural you know, progression, I guess. Of- so, you know, they called the Super Super V's were called Mini Indy at the time. And so Mini Indy, Drake, Drake Offie, you know, it all kind of worked together uh, to uh, uh, be what uh, thought was a, a, a reasonable uh, thing for uh, advertising and, you know, did you people feel warm and fuzzy about us. <laughs> did you ever feel like this stuff would become as valuable as it is today? Like some of the valve covers sell for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and same for, you know, the cam gears are. You gotta be kidding me. No, no, that, that stuff is worth. I've got all, I got all the patterns for that stuff. I could just make the stuff if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, this stuff is like a cam gear goes for several hundred dollars easily. I mean, this stuff is. You know, the, the rabbit guys, you know, they want this stuff on their car and it's and it's become it's become really valuable. You know, I took a I took an actual Drake valve cover and I sandcasted a new one and then I cut the logo out of it. And then I went online and showed people I'm like, hey, guys, I got the Drake logo off one of the cylinder heads. And those guys went crazy because they you know, they thought I ruined a real one. But um, the emotion that is surrounded what you guys did, you know, it's you know, if you hold a catalog in your hand now. The, the water-cooled enthusiasts really, really, you know, look up to what you guys did back then. You know, the, with the cylinder head and, and the Super V stuff that you did, you know, it's it's really cool. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but everybody really looks up to what you built back then. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> might, be time well, to, might be time to bring out the molds. <laughs> Well, I've got the molds for all that stuff, I can, and I actually have, I think I've got about a half a dozen heads that are mostly uh, machined and need valve seats, and they just, you know, they just need to be finished up, really. I could, I could, I could build another, I could probably build a half a dozen 16-valve uh, heads complete. Well, I think that you're, uh, you guys are probably going to get some phone calls at the shop for that stuff now that you've said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, the problem is, is uh, everybody thinks it's, it's, it's old that it shouldn't be worth very much, and so we ought to give it to them, and that ain't happening. Well, I don't think that that's the – that might have been the mentality maybe well, 10 years ago. Well, the mentality ago. of everybody that I've taken phone calls from or that has interest in the stuff. They, yeah. yeah. No, that's too much. So, you know, and yeah. I, I'm shooting from the hip right now. It seems to me that, you know, for a, a, a for a head with a valve cover and an intake manifold and and the belt drives and and and, and everything to do it is going to be somewhere in the seven to ten thousand dollar range. I think that just that and that's just from the head gasket up. I think that sounds reasonable. You know, they just on bring a trailer the other day, uh, Volkswagen Rabbit GTI just sold for almost twenty thousand dollars. So I, it's the market has really, really pushed forward. So I think that um, in my head, seven to ten thousand dollars might not be enough. So I, uh, I think you got, I think you got some some people that you could make real happy. So, so you know, I, I, I'm thinking that you know an engine is going to be you know over fifteen grand. You know, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's. I think you're right in the ballpark there. Guys are paying almost as much as what you're asking for for an Odinger setup. I think that. Uh, you might be off to the races. 
our head much better than that thing. At least I think it was. In fact, I'm even told by some guys that race Volkswagens that uh, our four valve head is a ton better than the five valve head too. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and spending your time with me today and, and uh, educating me about, you know, what you guys did at Drake. It sounds like a, a phenomenal story. Um, maybe we'll have to have you on another time to tell the whole thing. Well, and like I said, uh, uh, you need to go to vandineengineering.com, uh, a thing there of my personal accomplishments over the million, you know, the million years that I've been involved since 1968, actually, right. uh, professionally. Can they? Can people and, get a hold of you there as well? Is there an email address that people can click on? Anybody wants to get a hold of me, they'd be better off going to offyman at hotmail dot com. How do you spell simpler. that? O f f y m a n. Okay, that sounds great. I I appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming on. All right, all right. Take care of yourself. Bye. Bye bye. So I've got the ad from the original Drake catalog here. Okay. That says kind of what these motors were, like how they were trying to sell them. It says the high torque, high flow motor for today's 1.6 to 2 liter race application. So obviously you could get different displacements based on the class you were racing in, I'm guessing. Some alcohol or gasoline versions, Hmm. midget, off-road, and sports racing versions, Hillborn injection, MFI basically, or carbureted, complete, including dry sump oiling system, crank trigger ignition, and injection. Has a cylinder head conversion, all accessories available separately. Um, so basically, it was uh, the Drake 16 valve head. If you just wanted the head, assembled head complete with valves, choice of cams and valve springs with 3500 bucks. Okay. And Drake 16 valve engine complete, 280 bhp. Wow. Was 10 grand, including crank trigger ignition, dry spoiling, hillborn injection. Which you mean? No exhaust. It, it, let's, let's think about this. Okay. okay. This is before. The Volkswagen 16 valve really came out, I believe, because these are right. they're both these on the rabbits and shirakos. Exactly. Yep. So you're the going from okay, you've got your little eight valve rabbit, ding 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 ding, right? <laughs> so okay, so you've got 95 horsepower. <laughs> you're adding 200 horsepower. Yeah, by you're putting this, almost triple it, tripling it by just putting the cylinder head on your car. Wow. You, you put this one. It's not that simple. No. But like, you're, I mean, come on. This was an incredible feat of engineering. Yeah. You know, there was, I struggled so much over the years with trying to get more power out of Volkswagen engines. I put, I had a 16 valve that I put 288 cams in. I had, it was a 2.1. It was 12 and a half to one compression. It had Weber 40 carburetors on it. it had all kinds of stuff. It's like 175 horsepower. <laughs> it's 100 horsepower less than this thing. More. Right. More than wow. that. In and you have to remember, this isn't forced induction at all. This, this is, is NA. Just, yeah. This is NA, guys. This is 9,500 RPMs, 280 horsepower. Wow. And these things must have sounded incredible and it's crazy to me that he can yeah i got like six of those sitting around <laughs> like i wish i had like 40 50 grand to just buy everything that he has you know and just kind of what are you looking at me for like I, i'm just thinking maybe we need to talk this guy off the air and start his mold <laughs> process back up well i here's the question is if we repop them from the original guy, would they still be as cool or as I, valuable I know. I as the original? I don't you know. Think that's so. that's what's kind of cool about it is how obscure it is. Right. And it Absolutely. was obviously this was the pinnacle. Yeah. You know, and they did make more horsepower than the Odinger stuff. They did. 
Yeah, they no, did. I, like no I'm, question about it. Right. Even with that funky <laughs> intake manifold that the Odingers I, had. That's all I remember about Odinger. I'm not a huge, you know, older Volkswagen guy, but I remember that intake manifold that they had. Yeah. So that's the that's number two on the. And I think this one's a little more obscure if you're not a Volkswagen guy. It is, but, but going through the the numbers, the pedigree of where he came from yes. into where this engine le- led him, where he right. where he came along, everything he did for. Offenhauser back in the day, building that indie stuff, building yeah. Mark Donukes, all that knowledge, you know, came and then they built this. This is a really special engine. To strap on your little Volkswagen. To strap rabbit. on your little Volkswagen and smoke everything. No kidding. I'm, obviously, LA, they put it in, in like some of the midget racing stuff too, but. Right. Um, but wh- the fact that you could have your bone stock rabbit bolt this guy on. 200, what else had 280 <laughs> horsepower in 1983? Yeah, no kidding. Like, I mean, wow. nothing. So, really, really special. That's why it has made the list. Yes. So should we go through at this point? Because we're going to do our next episode is going to be a, the next two. Yeah, we'll do the next two. Let's go. Should we let's do, do some the, honorable mentions here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about All a right. few. So, this way people won't get super mad at me that I left something out. Yeah, your your weird, obscure choices. I mean, obviously, the 4G63 is up there, I think, on anyone's list. Right. Um, some other ones that people might be thinking about. I almost hate to say it. The Volkswagen Audi 1.8T. There's a reason for that. The 1.8T when it came out in what 99 or whatever I think it was 90, 90 okay nine yeah 98 the Audis exactly I think had it first yep. right that motor was the kickoff to chip t- to to flashing cars sure. not chip tuning because they were always pulling chips in and out but yep. before that you had to like get a little you screwdriver had to unsolder the chip yeah too, you had to unsolder it or pop it out and then order your chip and then you'd take the ECU up this was like <laughs> let's flash your car yeah and I don't think they were doing that quite yet in 98 but I think. As time went on, they were. I don't think the 98's early AEB, I think, right. is the... You know, and, and I guess what really stands out for me with the 180 is just how ubiquitous it was. It was, yeah. It's, you know, if you were into your Volkswagen Steady or Hondas, it was the 180. And you wanted to do a 180 swap. I mean, it was Oh, right. It was and all great. the older stuff, too. Yeah, I did a 180 swap in a Scirocco. And okay. it, they're fast, man. You just chip it, go. And I yep. think that was almost, sadly the start of the end of really fun <laughs> tuning because it was chip intake exhaust. That's what everybody did. Right. That's all you had to do. Yeah, you didn't have to, you didn't have to open the motor. You just turn the boost up no. and go. And then all of a sudden you've got, and if you were really crazy, you'd do a turbo swap. Then. Right. Right. Like a GT 28 R or KO, yeah. KO four. Oh yeah. Yeah. You could get some good power out of these things and it was cheap. It so was really cheap. You didn't it, have to spend $10,000 to get 280 horsepower. Anymore. Right. No kidding. So if you were a Volkswagen guy, it was the one eight T. If you're a Nissan guy, Chris, it was the SR 20 D E T. Yes. And I've never driven one of these, but I did ride in something called the De- uh, it's a Demon SR7. Okay, what is that? That is a Caterham oh, kit car yeah. with a 450 horsepower SR20 DT. Wow. Um, and so these are the engines in all of like the Nissan Silvia S13, S14 right. cars. Right. right, so this motor gets imported a lot. Right. Well, not only that, I mean, any drift rocket out there, it, good chances running the SR engine. Yeah, a lot of them do. I think that most of that engine here was sold without a turbo. As okay, far as I, sure. I know, someone's going to yell at their yelling at their. We're phone not right big. Now. Nissan I'm not a big guys. Nissan guy, but I remember that Caterham with that motor in it with 450 oh, horsepower. I can't imagine. It was absolutely savage. I remember just like. And the door is like really small. So I'm watching. The gr- I could reach out and touch the ground <laughs> as yeah. we're just yeah. flying around. I think it was the Autobahn Country Club in Chicago. Okay, sure. There's a shoot that I did for, um, I think it was Zero to 60 Magazine back in the day. And I don't remember who the race driver was. It's like maybe 
it was like Christian Carlson, maybe. I don't remember who it was, but he was some race driver. He was full Red Bull outfit, like kind of like the whole deal. And I'm just like wearing a hoodie and and I'm (laughs) I'm a hoodie and a helmet. And this guy's like just just ripping this thing. Wow. I, I don't know what happened to that company. I don't think they're around anymore, but. I just remember that engine being absolutely savage in that car. I can imagine. Uh, the other notable mention here is Subaru STI. was the 2.5 liter STI engine in there. I don't even know the engine code. Again, not a Subaru guy, but these things were really cool in these cars. What I would do, if it were me, okay. is I would take, I would get a 2.5 RS, right. which is, and, oh, and, and everyone does this, and you swap the STI because that engine, engine the 2.5 RS non-turbo, it's like, it's it, it's a dog. It right. sucks. So you'd swap this in there. My buddy Steve actually just picked up an SDA STI powered Forester, which is yes, which is a really cool vehicle. Those as well. are kind you of got, a rare beast too. Yeah, you got the wagon right there. Right, they're like they're like ten, twelve grand right now. I okay. think probably. I don't know if they're undervalued or not, but that is a pretty serious setup. You got a station wagon with an STI motor in it, all wheel drive. Right. Those are really cool. Uh, next up, Volvo. They have the red block. The red I don't block. really know anything about these engines. So Volvos for a long time had a lot of turbos on their engines. And okay. you could basically, the, the, the fable of the red block is that they're absolutely indestructible. And you can just keep pumping boost into them. <laughs> and they will take it. Um, the problem is, is that uh, I think all the turbo versions of this all came with automatic transmissions. And like the, oh. I think the, like the 740 while they're cutting stuff to pieces outside the studio right now. I think that like the 740 wagon and some of the, I think this like the, the bigger sedans came with that turbo motor. I'm really not a super Volvo guy, but I no. do like that engine. And I, I had one once in a wagon and it was, it was pretty great. Okay. We're getting outside our wheelhouse here. I understand that, but they're worth mentioning. Next one up here at Porsche, the 944. There were many iterations of the water cooled stuff for Porsche and the 944, kind of the top cream of the crop was the S2. And all I remember about this engine, and it was the most powerful naturally aspirated four-cylinder for the longest time. Right. So that's definitely worth mentioning. The other one, when you're talking about naturally aspirated four-cylinders, you have to talk about the Honda F20. This is the engine that came in the S2000. I've never driven I S2000. have driven a couple of them, and they are really cool. 9,000 RPM out of the box. The There was the first gen that we got in the U.S. was actually the one to have, because that was a two-liter that rev, revved higher and then they, quote, Americanized it by putting a 2.2 liter with a little more torque, but it was right. a little less rev happy. Um, and then another Porsche well, I, engine. The 924 Carrera GTS Club Sport. That's um, what I was just going to say. Yeah, two liter, single turbo four, 270 to 280 horsepower in and 1981. 1981. That is pretty serious. Now, I didn't, I hadn't really thought about this one, but I was asking Ray Schaefer about someone to talk to about another engine that's going to be in in the next episode and he's like oh you got to talk about this one and and he's right the car was rated at zero to 62 and a little over five seconds back in the day most other cars were doing six or seven seconds right um, they only built built 15 of them wow which is so yeah so it's, it's like a rare beast out there it's obscenely rare but that's that one's worth mentioning as well yeah some other stuff i'm just going to go down the list there's a lot of cosworth stuff out there they're racing engines yep. that i'm sure people know of the other one that comes to mind a little older lotus cortina so it was a Ford engine, Ford Cortina engine with the Lotus head on it. Right. Those, yeah, were, those cool. were cool. They revved. Oh, yeah, for sure. And this one, it's not that impressive of an engine, but because it's so ubiquitous, the Volkswagen Flat 4 in every Beetle, in every transporter, yeah. right? It's super. You've got to mention it at least. It's uninspiring and boring, but it was 
everywhere. It's, right. It's the motor that made everything that Volkswagen and Porsche would ever do possible. Exactly. Because it did also bleed over into Porsche a little bit. Right. As well with even up until the 914, those were basically, you know, type four engines. Right. And th- I mean, that's. It's undeniable that that motor is, is should be mentioned. So yeah, absolutely. And the last one here that is on our honorable mention list, at least, is of course the immortal Offenhauser Big Four engines. And right. from uh, this, you know, we talked to the guy at Drake, and he basically started out working for Offenhauser from 1947 to 1964. Every single winner of the Indianapolis 500 was driving an Offie-powered car. And in most of those years, the entire podium was powered by Offenhauser. It's, yeah, it's worth a mention for sure. It, it's worth looking up these engines and just reading about them. They're amazing. They're, you I know, tried to steer clear of like total race car stuff because if you start true. getting into race car stuff, all of a sudden you're like, wow, what, what formula motors were there? I mean, the, it's, you're, I you're mean, right. It's we're like, getting into... You, you can spiral out of control really fast. But it's worth mentioning, as we said. Sure. Well, on that note, we're going to let you guys go. So the next episode, we're going to release on Monday. Correct. I'm going to schedule it to go up on Monday, and that'll have the other two uh, the other two engines and the other two interviews that are on this list. Of Chris's favorite. And when that's released, cylinders. I am leaving Monday. Yes. I'm out of here. I'm heading my way to Loof to pick up Jake and Denver. Yep. On I'm skipping Wednesday. the boring part of the journey. Yeah, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flying out Wednesday, as he said, to meet him in Denver. We're going to go through the mountains. And then we are we going to be doing a little something from out there? We'll see. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to bring some of the things and we're going to record uh thursday when we get there or friday morning awesome we might be a little late getting you the guys the episode but we'll have something for you to talk about our trip out so that's it guys i hope you uh think i'm right (laughs) (laughs) and if not be sure to let us Uh, know if if, be sure to let us know and honestly what i'm trying to do is i'm just trying to give you guys something cool to listen to you know have some cool interviews and and hear something that maybe isn't so obvious so i (laughs) i hope you guys enjoyed it and we'll see you guys on monday take care